Welcome into the Odds and Audible's podcast. Matt Free, Eric Scopel, Jared back on this Tuesday edition of the show by week. So we mentioned it last uh, podcast. We'd be flipping up the, the format a little bit of the show because there's no game. I mean, as Eric was pointed out by Dan uh, post game, oh. the, the difference between a bye week and a regular week is there's no game on Saturday. So I, I was. No- I was really thankful Dan pointed that out. I was ready to go to Otsu Were you Stadium. shocked? I was. I couldn't <laughs> ready. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing this a while, but I never figured it out until Dan let me know. I appreciate it. <laughs> Learn something new uh, every day. So today, we're gonna. This is gonna be the first of two. We're going to look at um, the offense this today. Tomorrow, we're gonna do another podcast, and we're gonna kind of review six weeks or six games into what the defense is at. And we'll have some awards that we'll hand out at the end of the show. Um, so we'll, let's start offensively. Um, we didn't actually run through the order here, but I think it's we kind of all know it. Let's start at quarterback first. I think that's a good place to start, yeah. Yeah. Bo Nix, uh, very, very good. I, I think outside of one week for Bo, he's been about as perfect as you you could be. And from a passing standpoint, 1,500 yards, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, You look at it from a rushing standpoint, he's third on the team with 331 yards. He leads the team in rushing touchdowns with eight. I don't think any of us imagined seeing that. Uh, In the conference perspective, he's fifth in the the conference and, and yards. And, and from a ratings perspective, from a QBR rating, he's he's fourth. I, I think the easiest way to sum this up, and Jared will give us some, some insights on his grades, but, guys, he's having a career, and that's why Oregon's having a really good year offensively. No, I think that's fair. This is, without question, his best stretch of games in his career. You go look at it. I mean, he had – he was always up and down and consistent at Auburn, and that was kind of what – Everybody referred to good Bonix, bad Bonix. That was because there was a trend there of up and down play, and it's been very much on the upswing for five straight weeks. And I think you have to be really impressed and really encouraged. And, and, and if you're an Oregon fan, like really optimistic about how the rest of the season pulls you know, plays out now. And, um, you know, I thought it was notable that Jeff Schwartz, I don't know if you guys saw this tweet where he posted like a blind quarterback resume for three quarterbacks, and it was. Bo Nix, it was Dorian Thompson Robinson, and it was Caleb Williams. So these are the three kind of three of the premier quarterbacks in the Pac-12. And you don't look at those and think Bo's stats stand out and from a negative perspective at all. Like he honestly, his his rushing stats are better than both of them. His passing stats are comparable to both of them. Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think, has the higher completion percentage. I think Caleb Williams has the most touchdowns, but I mean it's not like it's it's drastically different, and I don't think many of us expected, especially after that first game, for that to be the case. And you mentioned the running thing. I think that's been a huge part of this. Is like, you know, I, I ran ran through a bunch of stats this week for a couple of stories on offensive defensive stuff. And you mentioned eight rushing touchdowns that leads the team. That also leads the Pac-12, and that's seventh nationally amongst all position players, quarterback, running back, um, in terms of rushing touchdowns. So I mean, he's his ability to score running and his ability to score passing, I, I just think is Oregon hasn't seen something like that. And, you know, for, for a very, very long time, for about a decade since Marcus left. And 
you know, really quickly, I'll pull up Marcus's rushing stats. I know obviously Marcus ran for more yards. I'm just curious because I haven't looked in a minute. Like, could in theory, um, Bo get to the uh, you know a new high water mark for the program in terms of rushing, rushing touchdowns in a single season? Because Bo currently has eight at the midway point. Oregon's going to play 13 games at minimum, maybe 14 if they make the conference championship game. Could he get there? Um, Marcus ran for 15 in 2014. That's the, that's the school record for crushing touchdowns by a quarterback. Um, notably, Bo could have – I mean, I don't know if we'll continue to see this kind of success running, but Bo could even get close to, you know, the 700-yard rushing mark, 750, 772, which is the school record by, by Marcus back in, again, 2014. Bo could kind of get into that range. So, I mean, I'm not saying he's the same kind of runner as Marcus because I think Marcus is significantly more gifted in terms of just the breakaway speed and, and, and some of the instincts there. But Bo has proven to be very, very, very effective there. And that's something that probably has surprised me more than anything else. Um, it's just his ability to run. And then the other one, which has been really impressive, is just avoiding turnovers. His last uh, five games, 20 touchdowns combined, as Matt said earlier, and just one turnover. I think that's, that sums it up for me. I think that's a good way to sum it up. Um, I think he's far exceeded my expectations. Uh, I still remember, you know, Matt and I having the podcast of, of, of the night that Nick's committed to to Oregon yeah. and the transfer portal. Um, We're not it was a very it was a very mixed emotions thing. It was like, well, that's a good thing that he knows Kenny Dillingham, but I've also watched him the last couple of years at Auburn, and it really hasn't been great. Um, the stats back it up, just like Eric was going through how much better he has been this season than he has been in his years past, the rushing attack that he's been able to develop. Um, the way Kenny Dillingham uses him as a rusher has been really intriguing. Um, we all remember the 80-yard touchdown run, but it's just, you know, he's when he gets out of the pocket, he's not making mistakes. He's not throwing the ball into double-triple coverage most of the time. And he's either throwing the ball away or getting 8 to 10 yards on the ground. It's usually a positive play whenever he steps out of the pocket. Um, just to like, like Matt mentioned earlier, just some general, very general PFF grades here, um, to see, just to kind of give you a season of, or an idea of how much better he has been this year than years past. Um, his offensive rating of a 78.6 is a career high. Granted, it's only a career high by one tenth of a point. Last year was 78.5. This year was 78.6. So not, you know, not a huge difference, but his run game this season is graded at an 82.1, which is his most by seven points. Um, his passer rating is actually not not his career high. It's actually right in the smack dab in the middle of his four years in college. But, you know, I kind of attest that to Oregon doesn't need him to throw the ball that often. And his opportunities just aren't as, as, as necessary as it would have been at Auburn. Um, granted, Auburn, just like Oregon was, or Oregon is and was technically, are a run-heavy offense. They both want to run the ball first, set the tone of the game, and then go for there. But we've already seen, you know, Knicks throw 44 times against Washington State and lead the team down the field to score in those pivotal moments. Um, it's it's just been a very impressive overall year um, for Knicks, and through through six games, it seems like. The game has just finally slowed down for him. Um, I also think that what we talked about preseason, about how now he gets to go against Pac-12 defenses and not SEC defenses, has really helped him as well. Um, I'm not trying to discredit him or anything like that, but I think just the quality of play allows him to, to play up to his capabilities. You know, as a high-profile recruit coming into school, going into Auburn originally, um, you see that now. And 
his second year with Kenny Dillingham. I know his first year was a couple of years ago, but there's the, the connection that they have there is just, it's unmistakable. Uh, Kenny knows exactly how to use Bo, and Bo trusts Kenny with all of his play calls. What was that, Eric? I, I just had a thought on the PFF um, passing grade. Part of me mm-hmm. wonders if that's in part because the offense has allowed him to not make – like because the counting stats – here's here's my hypothesis. The, the counting stats tell you he's performing better. 70% completion percentage is best at Auburn yep. with 61 and, and – in 2021 his yards per attempt is up by about a full yard from 2021 his quarterback rating is up 27 points but i i wonder if this is kind of the knock that was on nationally on marcus mariota when he was here which is that the offense is so good and gives him so many such easy opportunities that maybe a a pass that Bo is completing which is a higher percentage pass that's the higher percentage completion percentage is not getting the same pff recognition because it's not a difficult pass like that's not to yeah. say he hasn't had to make difficult passes, but this may be in part credit to just Kenny being able to create an offense and both being really comfortable right. in the offense to uh, execute it at a high level. But it doesn't necessarily pass the, this is a difficult play, impressive throw. Right. Deal. And that's the point of a good offensive coordinator is to give his quarterbacks easy looks. You know, if you can move the ball down the field, it doesn't matter if it's thrown at a double coverage and it's a perfect throw or if it's just a screen pass to your running back who gets the same amount of yards. It's an easy throw. Um, I will say there are two games that really knocked down Bo's overall grade, which I also think has something to do with it. Um, obviously, against Georgia, his passer rating was – or not passer rating, but his PFF pass grade was a 46.2, not good. And then against Stanford, it was a 47.4. But you look at the other games, it's Eastern Washington, 72, BYU, 78, Washington State, 76. This last game against Arizona, 76 as well. Um, I think that's more in line to where he is rather than his 69 overall grade, which is nice, but it's not, you know, it's not how he's actually played on, on the field. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's a combination probably of, of those two games weighing him down. And then the fact that, you know, PFF, it's not necessarily hard to throw for like a five yard out route for a 10 yard game, but in real life, it's really nice. And, and I think, He's performed those throws well, and he's performed all the other throws that he can do well. Real quick, before we move on to the next group, because if we continue going, this is going to be a two-hour podcast. Somebody like that. Um, But just my last thought on Bo is he's averaging 8.22 yards per play. That's plays when he throws the ball or runs the football. Um, That is over two yards better than any of his three previous seasons at Auburn. And what makes it really impressive is he's getting about 36 plays per game where he's throwing or rushing the football. That's the lowest total in his four-year career. So he's, I mean, it's kind of like a usage for stat here, like that you see in basketball. He, his usage is going down, and yet his production is going up. I, I mean, that that's, I would imagine, unheard of. That's, that's probably good. not a very common thing. I like that, Matt. That's good. That's uh, mm-hmm. I, had, I hadn't seen it from that angle, but it sort of adds up to what we've seen, too. Yeah, 100%. That just means the talent around him and the offense is just better for him. He doesn't have to work as yep. hard. Exactly. All right, running backs. This is one in which, you know, coming into the, the year, there was some questions. We we viewed Byron Cardwell as 
maybe the, the front runner. Um, there was certainly some things Eric heard that said otherwise during summer. And it's kind of played out that way. Uh, we've got Bucky Irving, who leads the team in rushing of 429 yards. Uh, you, you also have Noah Whittington, who is ninth in the conference and second on the team in rushing with 336. And then for the first time in, I think, about 10 years, Oregon has a third player in the top 10 in rushing. That's Bo mm-hmm. Nix, uh, who's third on the team, but 10th in the conference. He's tied with OSU running back Deshaun Fenwick. Uh, with 331 yards, you look at the yards per carry from this unit. Bonix is number one at 8, 8.28 on the team, number one in the conference. Bucky Irving is third in the conference, number two on the team at 7.15. And then Noah Winnington is in the top 10 as well at number eight at 6.46. Um, the run game has been very impressive. I think we all kind of expected – who you know, we expected the run game to be good this season, especially with who they had up front along the offensive line. But who's doing the damage on the ground at the end of last season, at the entering of spring football? That's not what we expected. And I, I think the last four or five games, guys, we've all kind of been in awe of Bucky Irving's play, his his style. And I know the last three games. Eric, you were mentioning it multiple times uh, at Arizona. I proposed the idea, I think, after Washington State, and Jared has certainly been all over him during between those games, um, that he may be Oregon's best running back since at least Royce Freeman. And maybe I don't want to go beyond Freeman, but it feels like definitively he's Oregon's best running back that they've had since Royce Freeman was in the green and yellow. The rush offense has been the undoubted strength of this team. Like, just yeah. some context from a totality perspective. They're top in the conference in rushing yards per game, rush yards per attempt per game, or sorry, per, yeah, rush yards per attempt um, and rushing touchdowns. And they are eighth nationally in rush yards per game, 241 yards, fourth nationally in uh, yards per attempt, about 6.2, and then fourth nationally with rushing touchdowns at 19. Um, this rush offense is clicking at a rate that isn't quite where it was under Chip Kelly at the height of that in terms of just the totality of the averages and stuff, but it's really, really close. In fact, Matt, can you pull up some of the – I'm actually curious, Matt. Can you pull up like the 2010 through 2012 Oregon rush offense and see what they how, how that compares? I haven't done that yet. Uh, I bet it's pretty close. Um and I just bring that up because I think this is becoming kind of feels like Oregon football, you know, and I know that's a weird <laughs> thing to say. And I, and I, I, Oregon football and, you know, offenses should you know evolve over time and be different depending on coaching staff and personnel. But the, the way this is played out, we talk about the Bo Nix being one of the most, you know, uh, hot, you know, successful rushing quarterbacks since Marcus, they have a blend of running backs that fit too in this offense again, is very different in a lot of ways from what Chip did. There's a lot of different nuances, but at the heart of it, it is a rush first offense and it's a option offense. It's a lot of the same kind of um, uh, staples are kind of being built out with this group. And I've been, as you said, Matt, so impressed with Bucky and so impressed even with Noah and just the roles everybody's playing. They've got four guys they're using every game right now. And, and ironically, Cardwell, who we were all really high on after you know going into spring, out of spring, is the kind of odd man out and it's because of injury and they haven't missed yeah. a beat. So 
I, I'm super impressed with this group. Matt, did you get the rushing stats? Yeah, so in, in 2009, the Ducks averaged 231 on the ground. Um, yeah. They had two players who ran for 55 or more yards. That number takes a big jump in 2010. That's the year they played for the national championship game. Um, they went 289 yeah. that season. Crazy. And then in 2011, when they had Barner, LaMichael, and D'Anthony, and Marcus Mariota all on the same team. That number jumped to 299. Um, they had four players Dang. with almost 30 yards or more. Um, or I guess 2011 was Darren Thomas, excuse me. Um, 2012, that went to over 300 yards and 315. That's when it was Barner, Marcus, Dat, and then Byron Marshall. Um, Oregon is at 241 this season. Mario Cristobal's four years at Oregon. He had one season in which he rushed his team at a team that averaged over 200 yards on the ground. That was last season at 202. Um, 2017, Oregon was at 251. That was really Taggart's year. Um, and that mm -hmm. was when they had Royce Freeman. You know, the, I, I think, you know, the last legitimate NFL running back they had on the roster. And now I think there's going to be a couple guys that could maybe – be in that discussion that's why I, I think we're seeing a big jump in production yeah thanks for the, the rundown there because i was I, I i knew they hit 300 a couple of times or in that range under chip and helfrich i was just curious to see kind of the, the kind of that rise and what the mile, milestones were so even though this offense is awesome right now and top near the top of the country still a ways away from those kind of uh, those kind of stats but really great group again love what they're doing love watching bucky I think noah's starting to come into his own and uh, we'll just kind of see where it goes from here. Jared, what's the PFF say about these guys? Uh, unsurprisingly, just the rushing offense in general, PFF really likes. Um, but they specifically really like Bucky Irving more than um, more than everybody else by a, a good margin. His overall offensive grade is 85.8. His overall run grade is 89.4, which puts him in like elite, elite categories. Um, even his run blocking game, which for some reason they, they give him – some some grades there, even though he's not much of a run blocker. He's usually the one running the ball. Um, that's a good grade as well. So we'll, we'll give him that. Um, I, I thought one of the more interesting stats was um, his breakaway percentage of yards on the ground. So Bucky has, has 435 yards on the ground so far this season. Yeah. Um, of his of his 435 yards, 41.8% or 182 yards are these breakaway rushes, which PFF um, – gives a breakaway rush as a, as a as a design run that goes farther than 15 yards on the ground. So he's had 42% basically of all of his rushing yards are a single design rush that is longer than 15 yards. And when you watch him play, that's not a surprising stat. Now, I don't think that'll hold up over the whole year because it's a little, it's outrageous to have that high of a percentage of your total yards as this breakaway stat, but man, is he good. I, I'm, I'm not surprised to see how well this offense is doing on the ground. Um, and, you know, this isn't to, to not say anything nice about Noah Whittington because he grades out really well as well. Um, his breakaway attempts are actually higher. They're 42.2%. 141 yards of his total 334 are breakaways. So these, these two guys have the ability to break out into the open field. They also have the ability to bowl people over, which we've seen from Whittington, from Bucky. Both of them can make guys miss. I think Bucky's ability to make someone miss is yeah. almost otherworldly at this point. But this this is what an offense looks like when you have not only a good offensive line, but a good running back. 
know, the, these guys can make people miss even if the holes aren't there in the offensive line. Not really what we've seen in the past years other than when Travis Dye got the majority of the carries this past season in 2021. You have a good, a good offensive line and average running backs. You'll still run for a lot of yards, but you won't see these type of breakaways. You won't see these types of performances that Bucky and Whittington have done this season in terms of getting away from somebody, making people miss, bowling them over. I, I just just think that this is the bread and butter of this offense. And I, I, I think they should finish around that 220 to 230 yards per game um, for the rest of the year. I mean, they still got to go against Colorado and they're allowing almost 300 yards a game. So yeah. uh, it's just been, just been great. Um, and I, and we, I think we all kind of thought, you know, that like we were, like you guys were both mentioning that someone like Cardwell or maybe Sean dollars is at one point there were, two or three scholarship running backs, two at one yeah. point in, in spring and then fall, obviously they get everybody in, but for a while it only looked like it was going to be dollars, Cardwell and Jordan James. And these, the, the two guys they bring in and Bucky and Whittington are by far the best they got here. I think it's, this is a position group that going into the year, like you just said, Jared, there were, there were legitimately concerns of the depth and on the offensive line, we'll get them to, there to a second. Um, we definitely thought like, hey, the O-line could suffer an injury, maybe even two. Season ending or long period, you know, long time injury. And they could manage. They would be fine because they had the depth. They had the experience to kind of weather that storm. The offensive, uh, the running back group through six games, I feel like has gotten to that status as well because – Every guy that plays, even Cardwell's two games that he has played, he has looked good. He's averaged almost seven yards a carry. And you look at these guys and the numbers that they're producing, the yards per carry that they're producing, the production that they're producing. Bucky Irving could go down, knock on wood, week seven against UCLA, and be gone for for a month. And I don't know if there would be – there would be a drop-off, no doubt about it. But I don't know if it would be earth-shattering Oregon having to drastically change its offense because every single guy runs for high high numbers from a yards per carry perspective. Every one of them, Bucky, Winnington, Knicks, Cardwell, and, and Dollars are all over six yards per carry. And the only reason Jordan James is at 4.34 is because he gets in opportunities when it's First and goal at the three, first and goal mm-hmm. at the two. So he can't run for more than four yards or three right. yards a carry. So I, I just think this, this this group has has at running back has shown that they have the depth and they have the talent, and they have and, and and that's when you have that combination like we've seen previously. Like Eric asked me to look up, you can put up some insane numbers because you can withstand an injury. You can withstand a guy getting out for a week or two. Can I ask Jared? We'll wrap the running back thing up here. Jared, can you look up where yes, Bucky's sir. running grade is on PFF nationally? A couple weeks ago, he was like third nationally. I nationally, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's dropped a little, and I just while he does, I had one thought. It's crazy because I'm not sure they're going to have a thousand yard rusher, even with how great these guys are because they rotate so much. Like Bucky's at, as you said earlier, um, 429, which puts him on a 12 season pace to get just about 840, 850. I guess 858. Um, and over the course of maybe a 14-game season, he would get there. But it's it's kind of interesting that, that that number is, you know, a little bit of elusive there. Go ahead. Um, am I on mute? 
Let's see if I'm on mute. Nope, not on mute. Sorry. The uh, Bucky Irving right now is fourth in the country in overall rushing grade, which sits at nine or 89.4. Mayan Williams of Ohio State is number one, followed by Blake Corum, and then Zach Charbonnet of UCLA is in the three spot at 89.6, just two tenths higher than Bucky Irving. Jada Knott, Cal's or, or Cal's running back, former Oregon commit, is sitting at fifth. Pac-12 running backs. Pac-12 really running good. backs. Mm -hmm. Really, really good. Um, all right, let's move over to receivers, tight ends. Um, this is a position group that – Look, we, we felt like Troy Franklin could be the guy. We felt like Chase Cota could could come in and have a, a veteran presence on this roster. We thought Dante Thornton. We thought the tight ends certainly were better than what they did in 2021. Chris Hudson had a solid year. Um, and this is one in which, like, it was – we've got small sample sizes for most of these guys, but we think they're going to put it together and they're going to put – you know, they're going to have a good unit. And it's one that's kind of, I think, lived up to expectations. Like, they're, hey, you guys needed to step who exactly those guys are, but the names have emerged. Troy Franklin has become a bona fide number one guy with 429 yards, three touchdowns through six games. He's one of the better receivers in the conference. Chase Coda has certainly had a career year for him. And it's, I mean, Eric, you mentioned it at the Arizona game that mm -hmm. he's he's playing and his physical stature should certainly show NFL scouts something that he's going to have a chance to get on a roster in some capacity, which I don't know if you could have said that in his four years at UCLA. Hudson is still solid, and it's the tight end group that's really started to, I think, Oregon's done a good job of maximizing the potential and the talents that they have here. Ferguson's got four touchdowns. We know Maliki Matavau has a rushing touchdown as well as, uh, I believe, a receiving touchdown. No, he doesn't have a receiving touchdown. It's Cam McCormick, who has two touchdowns and is healthy and is playing games. He's played in every single game this season. Knock yeah. on wood for that one as well. Um, and we're, we're seeing Patrick Herbert. They're finding ways to use all four scholarship tight ends. Herbert plays quite a bit for the fourth tight end on a roster. He plays fullback. He plays tight end. He's played in the slot. Um, certainly there's been some guys that I think we've been a little surprised about not producing as big of numbers. You know, Dante Thornton is fifth on the team in reception and uh, receiving yards at, at 122. Um, he's got seven receptions. That's way down the list in, in terms of most receptions on the roster. I think all of us were high on seven McGee. He's got 11 catches for 67 yards. Um, there's certainly been a couple guys that haven't produced, but there's been guys that are better than maybe expected. I don't know if I anticipated Troy Franklin being this good this quickly, and the same can be this, said about Chase Cota. Yeah, those are the two guys that they're kind of leaning on the most right now, and I think Chris Hudson notably has – to me, come on pretty strong here after a kind of a quiet first couple of games. Um, had a couple of big catches in uh, Pullman, obviously had the one that could have gone for a touchdown on Saturday against Arizona. You know, he was, if he was led a little bit better, maybe by Bo, Bo even mentioned it, needs to get that out there a little bit differently. That probably should have been a touchdown, but, you know, he's had 72 yards against Washington State, 60 against Arizona after he'd only had about 
20, 36 yards in the first three games combined. Uh, didn't have a catch against Georgia. I think he's come along well. He's clearly, I think, your, your number three guy right now. And you've already kind of run through the Troy Chase stuff. I think Chase has been really, really kind of steady Eddie, which has been really important for, for Bo. You know, I think one thing um, to mention with the tight ends is the, the usage in the pass game has declined a little bit recently. Obviously, yeah. Ferguson had the four touchdowns. Those were in the first two home games. Hasn't had a touchdown since and hasn't been quite as big of a focal point in the offense um, the last couple of games here. I mean, it's not like he's disappeared entirely, but uh, I think in the last three games, seven catches for about 50 yards, 47 yards. Um, if, my, if my math is correct, I'm doing it on the fly. It's a little bit down from kind of where he'd started the season. Um, not to say he's not still, you, you know, utilized or valuable, but just kind of one thing I've kind of picked up on with that. But I, I think overall, you're pleased. This is probably a group that's kind of hard to um, – I don't want to say hard to grade, but because of the way the offense is constructed, there are going to be games where, you know, Troy Franklin and, and Chase Cota, who are your, your most utilized receivers, aren't going to put up massive stats. You know, like Troy has right. has has obviously been your go-to guy, and they're still winning games. But like the last two games against Stanford and Arizona, he has a combined uh, 90 yards. That's not nothing, right. but it's not massive stats like he was the three previous games when he had 84 against Eastern, 84 against BYU, and 137 against Washington State. So um, the offense, you know, from a statistical perspective, you know, Troy is actually, let me see, I pulled this up earlier. One second. Yeah, here it is. Uh, he's 10th in the Pac-12 in receptions, 7th in receiving yards, 7th in uh, yards per catch. And uh, that's all that's great. All that's impressive. Um, but the offense isn't really constructed in a manner where he could be too much higher from my perspective. Like, Usage, what we talked about earlier, Matt made that, guy, that good point with Knicks. Like usage for a Troy Franklin is never going to be what the usage is for a uh, Jordan Addison or obviously mm -hmm. like a Jacob Cowing, who we just saw this last week where they're, they're targeted over and over again. That's just like a, a, a base part of their offense. Um, but I think I've been really imp impressed with the way Troy Franklin's played. Yeah, I think the usage rate is definitely a factor in what – Pro Football Focus thinks of of their grades. I mean, Troy Franklin leads the team, um, and when you cut out guys like Caleb Chapman or like the the four times that Cardwell was targeted, um, you know he's he's buying far and away like the best wide receiver that that PFF has graded for Oregon. I think it sits at a seventy five even for reception grades, which nationally is not going to make any noise like Bucky Irving's grade does. But, uh, you know, overall, I, you know, we've all been really, really pleased with how the wide receivers have performed, especially Franklin in his own right. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's very reliable. His, his drop rate is second on, or what is this, fourth on the team, but behind Dollars, McGee, and then Chase Cota leads the team, who's been the most reliable at 85.9 is his drop grade. Um, I think overall, it's, you know, it's kind of tough to, to take away from the grades that they have here. Um, just because of, I think really just because of the usage and that, that one Georgia game where, you know, basically nobody caught a pass. Um, Troy had like two for 34, I think it was, and they were both like right at the end of that first half. Um, I think it's hard because that's the overall grade of the season, but you, you go back and you look and you know that Troy Franklin and other guys, Chase Cota have played better than that game when they did, you know, didn't do anything against Georgia. Um, especially against you know, Eastern Washington, where they all had a, had a great day. Um, I think Chris Hudson coming on of late has been really important for this offense because I think he's their best deep ball threat. 
Um, you don't really see Franklin or Coda really go to run like a high post or just a straightaway. Um, I think that's what Chris Hudson does best at. I think it's because that's not what a lot of people expect his skill set to be, given his size and his stature. He's more of a slot guy just because just of his build. But uh, he's got the afterburners. He can get by a defense and he can go right up the middle. And that's what we've seen Knicks do the last couple of weeks is find him and lead him maybe a little bit too much, maybe a little bit too little. But at one point, they're going to connect on a, on a good one. And that's going to be a really long touchdown pass. Um, just from just overall, I, I've, I've been really pleased with this entire group. Um, you know, I wish... I, I wish there could there could be some more touches to Dante Thornton because I really like him as a prospect and as a player. Um, Caleb Chapman, I wish was healthy because he's such an intriguing physique and body type that I feel like that could be a mismatch if he's really healthy. Or, um, but I, I think he's just too too far down in the depth chart at this point because Franklin and Coda and Hudson, all these guys have proven themselves as a very reliable targets and guys that can get open and, and make this offense click. Yeah, who do you want to take uh, off? I was going to say, Thornton didn't even play last game, by the way. I'm not going to pick it up on that. That was kind of notable. We traveled. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, and that too, Matt. He was question, there, yeah. To your question, who are you going to take off? None of the guys that are playing big roles right now, I don't yeah. think. That's the problem. No. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him, but I don't think I'm going, I mean, to, it, going to take off anybody. Yeah, it's one of those deals where it's – unless they're not producing, you keep rolling with what's working. Don't don't mess up your, your drive here by trying to feed too many hands. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the offensive line here. And this is one in which there really is no stat, really, for this position group. They don't accumulate um, individual well, awards. There, There is a good stat, though. The sacks allowed. There is a good stat, though, and it's the, sacks. The, the sacks allowed, yeah. Which Oregon leads the country in. And it's because they've been they've allowed just one as a unit. Um and that's where I was going is as, as an individual group, I don't know if there's outlined, don't definitively know, but it would be a really surprise, uh, a bit, really big surprise if one of Oregon's offensive linemen is picked in the first or second round of the NFL draft. Um, there isn't that Panay Sewell. There isn't that Shane Lemieux, um, Calvin Throckmorton, Kyle Long, if you really want to go really far deep. You know, prototype NFL guy that everyone's clamoring over. But collectively, this unit is really, really good. And I think there are guys on this roster that will get their names called on draft day. I think there's more than a couple of them that will get their names called. But it's a unit that together is playing about as good as you possibly can. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's – Made up, it's an offensive line that's made up of four fifth year seniors or even sixth year seniors. Now I think about it uh, up front, Forsyth is playing his sixth year of football, Walk is playing his sixth year of football, TJ Bass is a Juco guy, but he's he's out of Oregon now with his third year. Same thing with with Malasala. Um, I, I just I think that's a, a very notable antidote of this team is they're experienced they're older guys and they've played about as perfect as a, as a unit as you can through the first six games and it's kind of what we i mean i don't think we were expecting one sack in six games but we definitely said at the beginning of the year if, if oregon's offense is going to be good it's because they're going to lean on the experience and the talent they have up front because those guys are pretty good 
And that's what's happening, in my opinion. Yeah, this was the strength of the offense, right? This is what we said was so important because, by the way, the position groups we just talked about, we haven't really mentioned it, but basically none of the guys who were just really high on had significant roles last year, or very few did. Like Ferguson did, and Hudson came on at the end of last season, but Bucky wasn't here, Bo wasn't here, No, Whittington wasn't here, Chase Cota wasn't here, Troy Franklin kind of emerged. Like all those guys we just talked about, and Cam McCormick and Patrick Herbert have been in and out with injuries, like – this was the, the group that was stable. This was the group that returned a lot in the stability offensively, and it's shown up. Um, I've been super impressed. I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say. And Matt, you brought up earlier, like, we felt if, you know, there was an injury on the offensive line, they could make it work. Well, that's been the case. I mean, think about the fact that Stephen Jones, who was your opening day starter, started, I think, every game last year. He hasn't played since, the, the I think, the early part of the First second half. half against Eastern. You know, yep. this guy, has, he's been out of the lineup now for about a month and hasn't missed a beat. I think we have to, you know, kind of highlight Marcus Harper. Um, PFF grade had loved him in pass. At one point, he was like the highest rated pass blocker for an interior lineman in the country. I don't think that number is still true. No, uh, no. But, you know, he's played really, really well. We're both laughing about it because Jared asked a question to, <laughs> not, to put, not to put Jared Poor on Marcus. Laughing. Poor Marcus was told that. No, poor me. Well, both of you. Both. The point is, Marcus was told he was the number one ranked pass blocker in the country for an interior lineman, and then we looked at it a moment later, and he's actually like seventh, and he'd fallen. And, I, he, but, he was at one point. He was to, so. To my he, was, he was so genuinely touched, though. He was like, he, yeah, like he, he just he melted. melted. It, he was just melted. Yeah. Anyway, but I want to good about it, and then yeah. I want to give him some love. But you know, like Matt, to your point about the the draft, there is no Penne Sewell, but I I think like I. Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton, they're guys that are, I think, kind of cal- even with that. I think TJ Bass and maybe Sala, and I think Forsyth as a center is somebody who will be yeah. drafted and, and has a yeah. chance. To, I mean, I think Bass could be a third-round pick, maybe something like that. I don't know. I'm not I'm not an NFL draft expert, but I, he's been the, the reigning Pac-12 offensive lineman of the week the last two weeks. I think he yep. – I'm actually he's curious. Won it four times now, which ties Penny Sewell for the most ever in, in that awards history. There you go. So yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy, man. He's really he's really talented, and it's just a really impressive group. And I think we haven't mentioned it, but when they go six offensive linemen, they put Josh Connerly in there. Like mm-hmm. this 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 offense is built around its offensive line. They have so much success when there are six of those guys out there on offense. And um, and again, they don't miss a beat. And Jackson Powers Johnson plays quite a bit. Dawson Jaramillo plays a, a decent amount. So I mean, it's a it's a unit that really does go right now about seven or eight guys deep, and that's even with the Stephen Jones being out. I'm curious more than any other position so far, though, Jared, about PFF, because as Matt said before, we don't have individual stats, you know? Those yeah. don't exist for offensive line, and I think – There should part, be. Part of the yeah, – there should be. Part of the reason – pancake I was, stats. They used to do that. Yeah. Think. They used to do that back in the day. Um but part of the reason I wanted to get when we invested in PFF for the season was because I was just curious on the offensive and like in a lot of the defensive line, some of the like defensive grades, just because uh, you know you you have sort of your own assessments and what you think you see. Who like actually of the five guys who start, Jared? Can you give us the order of highest PFF grades just kind of across the board? I'm just curious to see who PFF thinks is the best in that group. Yeah, you're talking just like their best the, offensive rating or best run block or pass block. Like which which dudes? Let's start offensive rating, and then we'll, why don't you run through the other ones too, and just go run just run through the order? Because I'd be sure. curious just to kind of see what the uh, a final assessment is from PFF or the midseason assessment. Right. Yeah. So PFF has it where it's 
blocking grades, which obviously is for offensive linemen, but uh, but also includes you know running backs or tight ends or uh, quarterbacks. Nick's has a blocking grade in here for some reason. Um, the best overall offensive lineman and by their offensive grade is actually Jackson Powers Johnson, who was rated out at an eighty-one point seven, followed closely by Dawson Jarmillo. Now, granted, those are Smaller sample size, so it's easier to have better grades when they're smaller sample sizes as long as you do well. Um, for guys who are a fixture in the lineup, it actually is Salah. Big Salah is the highest rated one at 77.9, followed by Forsyth at 73.9. Um, and we got to go down a bit. Um, it's Overall, the offensive grades are not going to showcase how good these guys are, I don't think, just by going through it's all. It's more about run blocking and pass blocking grade because okay. then you see Give us Forsyth and Sala. Uh, in order, it's Forsyth at 71.4, Sala at 70.8, TJ Bass 73, 70.3, excuse me, Ryan Walk 69.8. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's it. And then pass blocking is where Oregon excels. That's like their best thing. And we were talking about how Marcus is, Harper was. Which is I, weird because it's a runoff. I don't feel of, like that was their best last year. Well, I could I could check that, but this year they are the number one team in pass blocking in the country, according to PFF. Wow. Their overall team grade is a ninety-one point four, which is they've been they've been number one even I, I think for as long as we, we've had the subscription and even the week prior. I think it's basically been since after the Georgia game. So their overall grade is ninety-one point four, which is just a little bit higher than Alabama's offensive line. Um, you want to talk about a, 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 an offensive line there that is full of like the Panay Sewells compared to Oregon's offensive line where it's just a bunch of Calvin Throckmorton, Jake Hanses, and Shane Lemieux again. Um, but they're really damn good, and Alex Forsyth is the best on the team now. He's got an 88.8 passing block grade, followed by Sala at 85.8. Um, Marcus Harper's now down to an 84.6. JPJ is at an 83.7. Um Dave Iuli in very short reps is at an eighty point three, and then TJ Bass is at seventy nine point nine. So, um, so the so the I just want to just collectively just because it's interesting to me. So PFF, if you go just the composite offensive offensive line grade, you're looking at Salas number one, Forsyth's number two, Bass was three, Walk four, Harper five. Is that what it was? Just for the starters, I'm just curious. Are you talking about just the just overall the whole, offensive the whole, the grade? Whole thing, the whole thing. Just because I, I think that's that's what I was curious on. Is just like, yeah. Because my assessments say, I mean, I watch it, and I, I don't, I'm not an offensive line expert, but I'm just curious on like PFF's like these are the best. This is the order for how you should perceive these five guys. So it's Sala, TJ Bats, Forsyth, Walk, and then Marcus Harper. In terms of the starters, Harper does not grade well pass or run run blocking. I think we've talked about this plenty of times on this podcast before, but is is a very good pass blocker. Um, again, this this the stat obviously isn't perfect, but it does help because offensive line are one of those position groups. Like Matt mentioned, there are no stats there, so it's really hard to re- to to get an actual gauge of how well somebody performs without knowing how to play the position and we're all not Jeff Schwartz. We don't, we don't know exactly how all of this operates, but what I can tell you is a good barometer of how successful an offensive line is, is how many sacks sacks they allow, which Oregon is still number one in the country, like Matt mentioned with one and how often your team can run the ball down another team's throat, which for Oregon is a lot Um, to go back to the, like the 
the pressures allowed. The most pressures allowed on this team right now is CJ Bass at five. That's five pressures allowed <laughs> through these six <laughs> games. So that's really impressive. And wow. the most quarterback hits allowed is one, uh, it's Stephen Jones, who is tied with Ryan Walk and TJ Bass. So their efficiency is is very impressive in terms of not allowing rushes, not allowing unblocked guys, and not allowing Bo Nix to be hit, which gives him all the time in the world to throw the ball. That's very impressive. And that uh, Jared sums it up right there. I don't think we need to say more about the offensive line after that run-through of just what they've done um, through six games this season. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll run through our – player awards through the first six games of the football season. All right. Welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Uh, player awards here. Um, I'm going to flip the script. Sixth man, best freshman, MVP. Sixth man should be 12th man because it's – Football, not basketball, but that's the spirit of the award. Here is it's we're trying to we're trying to find guys that don't necessarily start. Maybe they have one start to their name or something of that nature, and yet they've become really key guys for Oregon this season. And I'll I'll go first here. I I think for me it, it starts and it ends with Noah Whittington because he's producing at a level that is starter quality and he, he's eight carries shy of Bucky Irving. But back to what I was saying earlier, I, I think Oregon could be without Bucky Irving for a game or two and, and Noah would be able to carry the workload and everyone would jump up a spot. So I, I'm going with Noah Whittington. I know his season maybe didn't start off the way a lot of people envisioned it would three carries, 14 yards against Georgia against Eastern Washington, just eight carries for 29 yards. But look at what he's done in the last four. 66 on 13 carries, 69 on 11 carries, 66 on 11 carries, and then 92 on six carries, including that 55-yard touchdown run uh, against Arizona. He, he's been very, very impressive off the bench. Yeah, I think that's that's probably going to be the consensus pick. Um for the reasons you laid out, you know, it's interesting because it is a work share. And as you said before, I, I think I agree. I, I, he He's not a massive step down from what you get from Bucky. Bucky is so dynamic. Um, some of the plays he makes, as we've said, are so damn impressive um, that it, it, it's hard to really, you know, sometimes, sometimes I just I like to sit back and kind of enjoy it, you know, more than, I mean, he, he to me is just a joy to watch Bucky. But Noah, in his own right, has been extremely impressive with the way he's able to uh, get up field and run through arm tackles and, and, and all of that. Um, you know, I guess if there's a couple other names just to toss out, um, I was trying to, I was just trying to look at the starting list here because I think Terrence Ferguson's only started two games all season, which is kind of funny. So if he can't, well, they they rotate a lot between these tight ends. Mm -hmm. Like I was just trying to, Go Ducks took out the uh, the participation report for the season off its its. Uh, season stat thing, which kind of is Nate. perplexing. Nate yeah, Kruger, Nate SID. We, he, we know he listens. That's a request. You, Bring that we back. Know you, we know you listen a little bit. Put that in there. That helps me a little bit on this podcast. I can go run through it all on my own later. But um, 
so no, but I, I, I think I, I was, I think where I was going to go is if it's Terrence or if it's Maliki or it's Patrick or it's Cam, I was just going to collectively say the combination of tight ends, I just think have yeah. been really, really good. Jared, here's a slight homework assignment for you right now while I talk. Ooh, give homework. Me the, give me the snap count for all the tight ends because I think oh, it's been, boy. Okay. I think it's been pretty comp because I know PFF tracks those. Dan yeah, doesn't yeah. believe that the PFF tracks them very accurately if you've listened to the press conferences. But <laughs> I, you know, they, they kind of don't. They don't. But but this gives us at least a barometer. I think it's way closer than people realized in terms of the snap counts between those four guys. I think they're playing those guys in a lot. And, and I think that's in part because of different roles you have. Like Terrence would flexed out a lot. Um, when they go jumbo, they play the other three, and, and Patrick comes in at fullback. Uh, what, what are the numbers there? Uh, you would be correct. They do play these guys pretty pretty evenly, at least at the top of the tree. Um, Terrence Ferguson's at 167 total snaps this season, which ranks 10th on the team in offense. Um, then you have Cam McCormick at 162, Maliki Madavao at 153, uh, Patrick Herbert at 138. So that's they're all right. They're good. all clumped together. Yeah, they're all kind yeah. of clumped together. There's so that, like was, 20, that was the 25 difference. Yeah, that was my other one just to note is I think just that group has, hasn't been much of a drop-off. And in fact, I think they played way more even snaps than most people realize. Mm-hmm. This team is I didn't like, realize overall, the Herbert one. Yeah, no, Herbert plays a good bit. He's actually uh, quite good at, at pass blocking every once in a while. But um, my I have an easy pick for this one, which I've already mentioned on the show. So maybe people who are listening intently might guess this. But uh, Jax Powers Johnson. I think he's been a tremendous yeah. sixth man or a 12th man um, because Oregon has had multiple interior offensive linemen go down at points this season with Ryan Walk and Steven Jones. And Jones is obviously still out and Walk has been, you know, he's been starting games, but every once in a while he'll, he'll, he'll be you know, hit with an injury and Oregon doesn't miss a beat. And in terms of total snap counts, um, Jackson Powers Johnson is 16th on the team. He's the, the highest non-starting offensive lineman. Um, and he's the highest overall graded offensive lineman um, in, in run block and not, not in pass block, but he's still very comparable in pass block. You're not really losing anything there. Um, Cable playing left or right guard, also center. That's where he's played this. Or he hasn't played left guard, I don't think, this season, but right guard and center are where he's been playing. Um, I think having an offensive lineman like that just right off the bench that you don't have to worry about is really important. Um, I think it would have been – I think – if you want the best six man possible, you'd rather have like an, uh, the six man of a tackle or something like that, where you really don't have to worry about it in a real position to need. But to me, I think this offensive line makes this whole offense click. And I think him being able to come in and make sure that that offensive line stays pretty much intact and competes to the level of play that Ryan Walker, Stephen Jones had played before him. Um, I think that's a, a really important and really valuable trait that this Oregon team has. I have one thought, Matt, before we go up to the next one. Um, when they go jumbo, Powers Johnson's on the field a lot, and then mm-hmm. another six-man. And actually, six-man does apply for offensive linemen pretty well because they do start five yes. and there's a six, so maybe that works. Um, when they actually use six offensive linemen, I think we have to at least give Josh Connerly a little bit of appreciation as a, as a yeah. true freshman who, who plays yeah. quite a bit and I think has had some He's- pretty nice moments. He's the seventh offensive lineman because Stephen Jones is ahead of him in snap count, but I don't really, I don't really count that, that because he, he hasn't played in a while. But yeah, in terms of snap counts, it's Jackson Powers Johnson as the actual six man, and then Josh Connerly is seven. 
All right, best freshman. Um, I don't know if we're going to be different here. I think we're all going to be the same. Jordan James is my pick. Um, freshman running back. It's really the only guy. Maybe Josh Connerly at tackle, but like Jared said, he he's the seventh offensive lineman, while James is fourth on the team in scoring with 18 points, um, three total touchdowns to his name. And from a rushing standpoint, you know, 126 yards and 29 carries in five games. So I think I think Jordan James is the freshman offensively. It's not one where there were a lot of options. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing either, though. Like I think that just shows you that this is a veteran air quotes offense or, or returners kind of living up to their potential here. Yeah, same answer, and I'll just say I think the fun thing with with James is we've seen him now obviously be the goal line guy. Three straight games with the touchdown is impressive, but then at the end of Saturday's game in Tucson, he got some extended run in that Looked fourth good. quarter. I think he – what, he had 10 carries in that game? Is that what he had for 69 yards, something like that? I, thought, I think he had a a pretty good amount he of touches, which was a – it's, it's exactly yards. that. You know, he, he had, that's, that was good to see. And, and we saw him, you know, run through a couple of guys, but also run around some guys and use some speed. I mean, just areas of his game we haven't been able to see when, I mean, when you have a guy in a short yarded situation, there's kind of not a whole lot you're going to see in terms of tricks, you know, you know, you're not, not seeing the whole bag as the, as the kids say, I guess. Um, but we saw, we saw a little bit more of it from, from Jordan, I thought. On Saturday, so I'm I'm really excited by him, and and, and I, I think you know it would be interesting to see if someone one of the main two guys do go down, knock on wood, um, what kind of role he could have on a regular basis in, in this offense from a larger perspective. But I think that the ceiling is really high with Jordan. I'm 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 really encouraged by what we've seen from him. There's yeah, like you guys have both said, there's really only one answer to this. Um, I thought it was encouraging. It's obviously it's Jordan James. I should probably tell my answer before I go into why I picked this guy. Uh, Jordan James, like, it's just very clearly he's the goal line back. Um, it was nice to see him this past game against Arizona get some open field opportunities. He really he ha- he's he's a talented running back, high four star four star recruit coming out of high school. Um, he's got some wiggle. He's got some power. As a true freshman, he looks really nice. Um, but yeah, this is, this is an easy answer. There's really just like, unless you wanted to go Josh Connerly, but I can't justify picking Josh mm-hmm. Connerly. Just, I mean, he's been good, I, I guess, but it, you know, it's not, it's not Jordan James here. All right. MVP. And I think this is another one where it's very clear. Um, Bonix is my selection. I'd be kind of surprised if you guys went the other direction, maybe, Change it up, you will. But career year for Bo, he's in the top 25 nationally for a lot of his statistics. He's in the top five of the conference in a year in which the conference is loaded at the the, the position. Um, when you say that you know Bo Nix's quarterback rating is 157, you know, and he's fourth in the conference. That would have been first last season in in, in the Pac-12. Yeah, you know, so he's he's playing at a high level when everybody else around him in the conference at the same position is also doing the same thing. And I just think the storyline here of what he was at, at Auburn, the type of player he was, 
the stigma of a, of a player that crumbles under pressure. We haven't really seen that at Oregon through six games. And I think it's cool to see just from a human element storyline. Um, he's on pace to kind of change the national narrative, at least for a season for who he is. He's been good on the road. He's been good at home. Just the numbers are just off the charts for him. And I, I think you have to look at what Oregon is doing offensively. And a lot of it always circles back to Bo Nix and his clutch and his, his improved play at the quarterback spot. Yeah, it's Bo. I don't think there's really any debate. And you just said something there that just to kind of, I hadn't thought about, but remember those really bad Bo home away splits? He's yeah. now gone on the road and played probably his two best games of the season were a road mm-hmm. game at Washington State where he had to come back. And then this last game, which was pretty close to flawless, throwing the football and obviously had some big runs, got in the end zone three times. He's put it together. It's been a really impressive run. I don't think there's really a lot of competition. Bucky doesn't have the usage rate or else maybe he could be in there. I think he's maybe proven to be your most talented player in a certain way in terms of just how dynamic he is with the ball, but he hasn't meant as much. And you say most valuable. You talk about the guy who has the ball all the time and who's made the good decisions and who's orchestrated an offense that has really, I think even exceeded expectations. And I guess the other thing would just be to do like a team offensive line award because of the yeah. sacks and how the good, the running game has been and their, their yeah. role in that. But for an actual individual, I don't think there's really much debate. It's, it's Bo Nix. Yeah. Hundred percent, it's Bo. I mean, I I could go through everything that you guys just said, but why would I? That's lame. But Nick's is clearly the 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 guy here. It's the same reason why, like in the NFL, the the MVPs are usually quarterbacks because the ball is in their hand. They're able to they they throw it. They control the offense. Blah blah blah. Um, it's clearly Nick's, but I do. You know, I want to give a shout out to Bucky Irving because I think he's just been a revelation. I think he's been tremendous. Um, like Eric said. Uh, the offensive line as a whole deserves an award. Um, Troy Franklin coming out as a number one wide receiver and solidifying that receiving core and the offense having a go-to guy really helps. Um, but this is, in a terms of individual award, this is clearly Nix's to win. This is clearly going to be his award at the end of the year if he cont- continues to play as well as he has. Um, he's just been lights out for Oregon, and this is exactly what they needed to get into this you know, Pac-12 championship you know, contention. They needed a strong quarterback outing, and he's he's doing exactly that. I think the best way maybe to sum it up for him is just it's the bye week. The discussion of players that are being contention for the Heisman are starting, and we actually had to have that kind of conversation. Whether all three of us didn't think it was going to happen, yeah, but. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, like, it's it. playing like we had to have that conversation. And I, I think the fact that he's put himself there just speaks to how well he's playing, where we actually had to be like, well, like, let's actually maybe talk this out for a second. Is it a real possibility? Um, it probably would have been if they played San Jose State instead of Georgia week one, and they won that football game 28-3. to um, you know, But they didn't. They played Georgia. That happened, and you move on. But that's going to do it for us uh, on this edition of the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another one looking at the defense. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast.
Talk to you later, folks. Peace.